everyone, this is Caleb, and welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. Today, I am honored to be joined by Carlos Whitaker, returning guest to the podcast, and I'm also grateful that you have decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me in the Learner's Corner. I'll tell you a little bit about Carlos here in just a second. However, if this happens to be your first time listening to the Learner's Corner, I do want to tell you about a couple of things here on the podcast, is that we believe we can learn from anyone and from everyone from anything and from everything. And we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations to where we may, we don't have to agree about everything in order to, to have a productive and fruitful dialogue. And the reason why we want to do this is because we want to pass on, the reason why we learn is because we want to pass on what we have learned and model it for the next generation of learners and of humanity, the people that maybe we feel a sense of responsibility to. And if you've been enjoying this podcast for a while, or you're a new listener and you want to keep learning, please subscribe to my newsletter, to my uh, Substack, which has all the things that I'm learning about. And I uh, post those about once a week or so from music to movies, to books and podcasts, and just basically all the good stuff that I'm learning about. It is all right there in my Substack, and you can just go right to the show notes to find out all of that stuff. Now, as I mentioned today, I am talking with Carlos Whitaker. Let me tell you a little bit about him, and then we can dive right into the conversation. And if you enjoyed this episode, check out some of the previous conversations that we've had as well. So Carlos Whitaker is bringing hope to humans all over the world, and he's pretty good at it. He's an author, podcaster, and global speaker, backed by the power of the massive InstaFamilia which is uh, his enthusiastic social followers who tune in daily to join forces with Carlos to find connection, do good, and be in community. When Carlos enters a room, he makes people feel seen. His superpower is creating spaces online and in person where people are safe to engage in conversation about the topics that matter most but are often avoided, just as we try to do here on The Learner's Corner. His motto is, don't stand on issues, walk with people. That's the professional stuff, but all day, every day, Carlos is a family man. He and his wife, Heather, live in Nashville, Tennessee with their three amazing children, where you can find them working on the family farm, planning trips around the world, and dancing to single ladies, which we've talked about that before as well, of of his son dancing to that. And he is an author of several incredible books, you know, Enter Wild, Kill the Spider, and the most recent how to human three ways to share life beyond what distracts divides and disconnects us and without any further wait here is our conversation well carlos it's so good to have you back on the podcast today Caleb, thanks for having me back, man. When I when I never know who whose smiling face I'm going to see across the Zoom <laughs> screen from me, and I was like, oh, I remember this guy. He makes me happy. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, hey, just as we're getting started, uh, you know, I would love to ask you because I know that you are a voracious learner. You share a lot of what you're learning too on Instagram and everything. I'd love to hear what's capturing your attention, your imagination right now. I, first of all, I'm going to put on my business card, voracious learner. That is what I want to be. And I like, that's what you explained me as, um, you know, it's actually, it's a great day to ask me a great year to ask me that question because I am turning 50 this year. 
And I've made a decision to learn 50 new skills by the time I turn 50. Mm. And so I've got nine months and like, I've, I've got like a, a, a bee, a beehive that I'm going to learn to beekeep in the spring. I learned to souvet a steak the other day. I've never done that. Uh, but what I'm really into right now, what I'm learning, this may not be the direction you wanted me to no, go. This but, is great. Okay. But I am learning um, how to solve a Rubik's cube. And mm -hmm. it's just been the thing that I'm like, you know, my kid, my son had, has got really into it and he got really fast. And, you know, just as an adult, you're like, what's the purpose of that? Like whatever. And then I was like, you know, I think I want to learn to do that. So not only did I learn to solve the Rubik's cube, so I've got it down now. Uh, the first time it took me like 17 minutes. Then the next day it took me four minutes. Then the next day it took me three minutes. I am down Caleb to one minute and 20 <laughs> seconds. And I will let you know that before I turn 50, it is my goal. And what I'm learning right now, I'm learning this new, uh, this new way he taught me. I want to get it under a minute. And then that's my goal. So that's what yeah. I'm learning right now. So what prompted this desire to want to learn 50 things by the time you turn 50? I, I just, I just feel like, you know, there's such ageism in our society and there's such, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm like you said, I'm a learner. I love to learn things. I, I'm learning everything. I learn how to make a knife. I learn how to do magic tricks. I learn how to do, you know, whatever. And I just thought to myself, you know, not until I was 48 years old, did my, did the Lord actually even give me the platform that I have? So mm -hmm. like, like, it's like so many people in their twenties and thirties are like, oh my gosh, like I still haven't like found what I'm looking for. I don't know if I'm like, and I'm like, dude, just relax. Like, like, just like, like it's coming. Like I was 48 years old when my Instagram follower, when I became an influencer, right? Like, like, so like my Instagram followers went from 30,000 to 250,000 in my 48th year of life. And so now I just feel like the Lord is like be, being like, dude, you need to help all the other people in their forties be like, you can keep learning. You can keep growing. You can keep doing. And so, you know, I think learning keeps my mind sharp. Um, it keeps me creative. It keeps uh, ideas flowing in my head. And, uh, I, you know, you know me, you followed me long enough to where I was like a, a good challenge and a new, a good way to create more content for Instagram and YouTube. And what better way than to watch an old dude with a gray beard, learn how to do a bunch of things he's never learned to do before. Yeah. I'd love to hear, you know, you're, you're a few minutes, but you're a few months into this journey right now. And yeah, so yeah. you have some experience. You still got a little bit to go. I'd love to hear what has surprised you the most in like this, you know, three month journey <clears throat> so far. Yeah. You know, I think what surprised me the most is how, uh, a, how exciting, exciting that it is. Like, um, I, I feel like so many people have stopped being excited about things because they've stopped learning things. Mm -hmm. And, um, gosh, like learning is the, I think a gateway to excitement in your life. And it excites me because I've, um, not only have I learned things, but I've made new friends. Like I literally have joined a beekeeper Facebook page, uh, middle Tennessee beekeepers. I've already had coffee with two new friends that are going to give me their Ethiopian queen that is going to go into one of my hives. And like, and so like, as much as I've learned about bees, like I've also learned about just my new friends that I've made. So I've like mm. made new friends through, I'm through what I'm learning. Um, and I think something else that surprised me is that honestly, like how little people care to keep learning as they, as they grow and as they go older, you know, like, I'm like, man, like I, I feel like I'm just stepping into the most influential season of my life. And, and I know that the Lord has used my life in various ways, but I feel from 50 to 65, man, like 
it's like it's a game time, you know. And then you know, I say that I shouldn't even say that. Like, what? Why can't it be to eighty five? Yeah. Uh, why can't it be to ninety five? You know. And um, I look at some great. Why? I mean, look. Why is the president of the freaking United States one hundred and twenty years old? You know. I'm like, I'm like, you know, like I got some time. If the most powerful man on the planet can uh, can be one hundred and fifty years old, then I sure have a lot of life left. So uh, that that's just some stuff that I've learned. One other question I want to ask you about is I'd love to hear what's the thing that you're most excited about learning on the list and what's the thing that is like maybe most intimidating or going to be the most challenging that you think? Left? Oh, that's good. Well, I will tell you this. I have 25 things on my list mm-hmm. and uh, I have I have 20 things that are left blank on purpose so that if I run across somebody that's doing something cool, I'm like, oh, that that's what uh, that's a good know. idea. Yeah. So I, I just kind of left some things because there, there's already things that I'm like, oh, I didn't know that I was going to learn this, but hey, can we can we do this? And so, um, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm excited about. One of mm-hmm. the um, uh, one of kind of the uh, ideas of this project is I kind of wanted to kind of take a micro dirty jobs uh, angle. And so I'm one of the things I'm excited about is and this may not be specific, but it's specific as to wh- why I'm excited is that I'm actually going to take like. 10 to 15 trips to meet Insta Familia, which is my Instagram followers, members that have really cool jobs that are going to teach me how to do their jobs. And one of them is in New York City, and he um, he fixes manhole covers in New York City. And so I'm going to get to like go down into like the manhole system. Like I, you'll meet the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Who knows who's down there? Um, but yeah, I'm excited about that and about kind of getting my hands dirty um, in there. I, and I guess one of the, uh, I, I guess the thing that that is the most worries, not worrisome for me, but yeah. the, the thing that I'm not enjoying the, the most about this journey is I'm I'm also somebody that likes to master things. Like I, I don't just want to learn something. Like I want to master it, which is why like I'm like, oh, I know I said I want to solve a Rubik's cube, and now I want to do it in under a minute. And I, and I I think to myself, well, actually, like I can't keep that up, or I'm not gonna get to my 50 things. Like yeah. the goal is to learn 50 new skills, not master 50 new skills. Uh, and so you know, so I think the Rubik's cube is the only one that I'm gonna be like, okay, I gotta beat a minute, but everything else I, I'll just be a beginner at. Um, mm. so anyway, yeah, it's that that's good. And that's a really good distinction too. Yeah, for yourself. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So you've also, you in the midst of, you know, I know that you wrote the book a while. I'm sure you're still writing now for, yeah. you know, the next book too, you're but you've written this book, how to human. And anytime that I love talking with somebody, I love hearing the backstory behind it. And so what was the thing, the things that led you to this idea of how to human? Yeah. You know, uh, I think if any of your listeners can just think back to the last three years, of their lives, um, either they realize it in themselves or they've realized it in somebody really close to them that they've probably forgotten how to do this human thing. You know, like there's so many things that divide us. There's so many things that remove us from the humans that we loved prior to 2020 that I just want to remind people that, that we can do this well again. Like Mm -hmm. you don't just have to, this isn't a book to just help you like be able to stand somebody that uh, disagrees with you on a hot topic. Now, this is a book that is going to remind you that you actually have the capacity inside of you to like have deep soul filling relationships with people that don't look like you think like you vote like you eat like you love like you like these are um, and, and and so how to human is like fun and catchy as that that title is. 
it it's going to be some work. Like the book isn't like, Hey, like this, it's like feel good, good news stuff. Like, no, it's like, actually like we all have been knocked off course. Um, let's try to figure out how it is we do this again. And so, you know, that's where the book came from. Uh, I use human as a verb, how to human. And, uh, and I kind of like to play on words, you know, with that. Yeah. I'm a big time. I'm a big three word, uh, title guy. So yeah. yeah, I'm into it. It's a great title too. Thanks man. Was there something that like, what, what was the point for you that realized, and maybe that maybe there wasn't one. But where was the point that made you realize, like, wow, we have we have started to lose our humanity? Was there something that you saw, something that you experienced to where you realized, yeah, this is this is a big problem? Yeah, it's twofold. Um, the first was and I talk about this in the book. I in 2020, I started to speak on things um, of reconciliation. I started speaking on things of justice, of race. Um, and my very first video that I put up was. Uh, about Ahmaud Arbery. And I just put up there a really, what I felt like a, was a very grace-filled, soft-spoken video asking my white friends uh, to listen to me. And, and this is how you can help the black community right now. I'm telling you, bro, it was the most vanilla, non-confrontational video I've ever done. Bro, I went from 30-something odd thousand Instagram followers to 20,000 Instagram. Like I lost 11 thousand followers by simply asking them to see me and to help free me. And that's when I was like, wait, and th these were people that like, I've known for a long time. These yeah. are people that like prayed for my daughter in the hospital when she was in there for four weeks. These were, these were like the soul, a lot of them, the soul of my community and bro, I was gutted. And um, that's when I was like, okay, something's broken. Like something's broken that I can't talk about this without people letting me know on the way out what they think of me. Um, and then, you know, Caleb, I think about, I think about, um, what life looked like even 20 some odd years before, like in nine 11, mm. when that, that was a very traumatic thing that happened in in our country and when i think back to it like nobody nobody was like running to their at that point what their blackberries or or uh well no one was running to their palm pilots and and typing out their their thesis on who's to blame for whatever is happening at 9-11 no what people did is they just came together like they ran towards the fire. They ran towards the building. They ran towards other humans and to see if they were okay and to check on them. And when I, when I, it was kind of like uh, this juxtaposition between what I was experiencing when I was asking for help, when there was trauma in my own nine 11 happening in my life. And then what happened then I was like, you know what? Like we've forgotten, we've lost our way. Uh, and so I think that was the moment for me that I was like, I got to write something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and I could be wrong on this and it might be a different incident that you talked about, but I remember reading in the book and you mentioned how, like, you knew that you were speaking about something different than what you normally talk about and that you, you were maybe afraid of how people were responding. Oh, Can yeah. you take, take me back to that and just kind of walk me through that process of like you thinking about it, these people leave and then what happens after that? Yeah. So, you know, I had up until that point, I, I was a pretty strict, like, I, I'm just, I'm insta storying about my family vacations, about re my relationship with God, and maybe the birds in my backyard. Like, like that was, that was a culmination. I was not talking about 
controversial things or hot topics. And, um, and so when, when the Ahmad thing happened, I just as like, I had just gone through an experience similar to that where I was in this really rich neighborhood in, in Dallas, Texas. Uh, and I was staying at an Airbnb and it was like five in the morning and I needed to go run. I was going to go running. Um, and as I walked out the door, I, I, I went to the sidewalk and I saw a gentleman that was getting in his car, kind of look at me and then quickly get in his car. Mm -hmm. And you know what I did? I turned around and I went back in my Airbnb. Cause I was like, uh, uh, I, I like, I'm not, I can't, I can't go running at 5am in this neighborhood. And so when that happened with the mod, I was like, you know what? I've got a story very, I'm not only have one, but a lot of very similar stories. Mm -hmm. Um, so there was, there was this place of like, I know I needed to talk about it, but then I know that this isn't what I normally talk about. So how is it that I overcome that fear of what if, what if I make people mad? I mean, I was thinking that I literally was like, it's not like I just nonchalantly did this. Like I sat on it for, I don't know, eight hours that day. I'd made the video and I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I should upload it. I don't know. And like, I'd get it ready to upload and then I delete it and walk away. And I was like, I just don't know. And but I felt it, it, it. This was something that didn't feel like just a good idea. Mm -hmm. It felt like a call, like like I was called to talk about this, and so I did it. I uploaded it, and actually, to be honest with you, I didn't even look at like the responses or the engagement um, until I don't know a couple hours later that night. My wife's like, "Babe, like your video has been viewed like I don't know fifty thousand times or something." I was like, "Really? I only have thirty thousand followers. How'd this happen?" So then I looked on there and uh, I was like, oh my gosh, like I've had like 2000 people unfollow me and my DMs were slammed. And I was like, I'm not going to look at it. I'm not going to look at it. I'm not going to look at it. And then the next morning I woke up and they were all gone. Not all of them, mm -hmm. but the all, I mean, it was, um, and so here's, here was the point of, of that. I feel like a lot, a, a lot of people would battle through what I battled with in, in the morning. I was like, well, my career's over. Um, I no longer can write books. I am no longer going to have a platform. I will have zero followers by Friday. And if I want to save my career, I'm, I need to delete it. So, um, I did what any good, uh, words of affirmation Enneagram nine would do. And I went to, um, the post and I hit delete. Like I literally was, I delete, like delete it. So I hit delete. And then right when I hit delete, it was like Holy Spirit himself entered my phone and another pop-up came on that I've never seen since. And it said, are you sure? <laughs> yes or no. And I was like, oh, I hate that it asked me twice. And that was the moment that I, that I was like, well, maybe I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe this is the direction I'm supposed to go. May Obviously, I struck a nerve and maybe I need to talk about this. So I hit no, I'm not sure. And I left it up. And what happened was, you know, um, I started to read the DMs and they were vicious, man. I mean, stuff like I wish I never prayed for your daughter in the hospital. Like, I mean, these are from Christians yeah. or at least they call themselves Christians. It was very wounding for me, uh, traumatic for me. That was kind of the beginning of my church 2020 trauma. Um, and but I kept going and I kept I kept talking about this. And then I just kind of started seeing people show up and twenty five thousand. 30,000, 40,000. I was like, oh, wow. Now it took me seven years to build 30,000. And in two months, I got 40, 50, 100. 
Demi Lovato reposts one of my things and I get 20,000 followers in a day and they just on and Kim Kardashian reposted another thing that I did and I got another 15,000 and you know I felt like the Lord was like see like if you trust me even when everything falls apart after I've asked you to do something I promise to take care of you um and he did and guess what him taking care of me didn't have to be me gaining 200,000 followers yeah. Him taking care of me could literally have been like, okay, well, maybe you have to have a new job. I'm going to provide you that new job because everyone unfollowed you. So the the um um his supplication is going to look different every time, but he always supplies. He always will supply. And so, you know, here I sit now, you know, two years, a uh, little right. Oh, let's see, 20 that was 2020. So a little over two and a half years from that that day. And my, my life has completely changed, um, trajectory because of that one video. And I, I wouldn't be, uh, able to gather this community online that's changing people's lives without that video happening. So, yeah. yeah. You know, you talking about that reminds me of another story that you write about in the book, which is really powerful. And you talk about, um, with your dad of how he told you that you need to refer your, to yourself as Mexican. And yep. not as black. Would you mind yep. telling that story like from the beginning, whenever you're a kid and then to yep. whenever you're an adult? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when when I was born in East L.A. in Pico Rivera, my mom is a Mexican from Monterrey, Mexico. Uh, and my dad is Panamanian from Colón, Panama. Um, now, you know, I would always just say my dad was Panamanian. I never would say he was black, although my dad is black. Like he is as black. He's blacker than Obama black. Like his mom's dad black and his dad's black. Um but but because he's because like I wasn't in like a black quote unquote American black culture growing up um, in in L.A. I know, you know, I never really referred to my myself as that. And I um, uh, kind of grew up um, there and then we moved to Atlanta when I was young. And when we moved to Atlanta to the south from L.A. and we were around non non Spanish speakers, I'll never forget my dad saying, Carlos, and I, I just want to remind you, like you're you're Mexican. Okay, I need you to like when people ask you, you're Mexican, you're not black. And I didn't think twice about it because it's my dad, of course. Mm -hmm. Little did I know what he was trying to do and how he was trying to protect me from racism in the South. Um, and uh, and so I did my best to fold into the white culture, uh, the white experience to all my friends were white. The schools I went to were white. My church was white. My girlfriends were white. Like I, I was white and I never even in a remotely referred to myself as black, even though I was half black. And, um, and even though all my friends weren't saying I was black, if I walked into a grocery store, uh, at 15 years old, I was black. Like I, I, I wasn't able to wear a, a shirt that said, Hey, Hey, will you please view me as a Mexican? I don't look Mexican. I look black. And, um, and so whatever, like I I'm, I'm on this journey, but then the older I get, the more racism in the South I get to experience because of the black side of who I am, um, being called the N word. Um, you know, I, I mean, all kinds of stuff, um, all, all kinds of stuff happened with, um, um, just in college and all sorts of stuff. And so I, up until 2016, didn't even refer to myself as black. And then when there was a lot of racism in America that began to happen, when they not begin to happen, but uh, was being maybe visible by more and more people, um, I felt like I just couldn't hide it anymore. And I needed to step into it. And then the full the fullness of stepping into it, I still kind of saw myself as like, 
Mexican, but I know I'm black. I took a DNA test <laughs> and I like swabbed my cheek or whatever. And yeah, I send it in. And I just remember that thing coming back and opening it up and me freaking out like, holy cow. Like I'm straight up. I'm like a Nigerian prince. Like I'm so African. I'm more African than like the Africans, man. I am. This is where my ancestors are from. And there was something about seeing that, that really, really, um, cemented in me that I don't need to be ashamed of who I am. And so, you know, in the book, I, I try to help people um, be human, which is the first part of the book and be, be who you, who God made you to be. Listen, if you are like a, if you have a grandma from Italy and like your ancestors are from Italy and you are not making homemade freaking pasta on a monthly basis, what are you doing with your life? Like be who you are. If you're from the South and you don't love sweet tea and NASCAR and country music, like, and you're not leaning into that, like lean into the experience of who you were, right? Like, I'm not saying every Italian has to make pasta or every Southerner has to drink sweet tea, but there's definite things about who we are that maybe we're ashamed of. And maybe we don't want to, uh, maybe we're embarrassed of, no, man, embrace who you are and live it, you know? And I hadn't been living it. And once I finally started doing that, I felt more alive than I ever had. Mm. Yeah, talk to me about the difference between, you know, before you were maybe, I don't know, this is just what I'm hearing, struggling with it or just not wanting to fully accept it to like today, to where you're very comfortable with it. You talk about yeah. it. Like, talk to me about the difference. Yeah. There, I mean, the difference is is only being half of me and fully me. And I think I've learned about the black part of me uh, because I've do I've dove into research. I've, I've gone down my ancestry. I've looked at exact parts of the Congo that my ancestors are from. I've looked at the slave uh, ships that left from the Congo and where did they land in Charleston? Hmm. Oh my gosh. Like I, I see, um, I see somebody that may be down my lineage coming to Charleston. I've just, I, I've, I dove head first into it and man, I'm just so much more aware and proud like proud of that part of who I am. And I feel like I can speak with authority and confidence that that I've like researched and done the work beyond my own experience. I believe that all of our own experience is vital and super important, uh, but I also believe in education. And, uh, you know, I've I've continued to educate myself in that. And so, yeah, there's a, there's a confidence that I walk around with uh, in that part of me that, uh, that I didn't, that I didn't have. So I guess I, maybe I walk around with a little bit more of a swagger. Yeah. So. Talk to me about, like, what was one of the things that you learned that you're like, oh, yeah, like, that's my people. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. like, I'm proud that my my ancestors, the past generations were yeah. a part of this. I, I think probably the majority of that were would be the Afro Latino community, right? The the blacks that are in Cuba and in Panama and in the Dominican Republic and like the Spanish speaking black uh, community is is a very misunderstood community. Um, you know, it's it's funny that, you know, <laughs> I mean, I hate to like call out ignorance, but there's so many ignorant people that I would I would talk to, you know, like, oh, but your dad's from Panama, so you're not black. And I'm like, oh, so these people, I need to help them help them realize that the slave ship just, just wasn't a nonstop flight from Africa to Charleston. They dropped black people off all over the world. And there's black people in Italy that guess what? Surprise, surprise. They speak Italian, you know, and so there's but but it's like we're so in America, we're so self-focused that we we forget that. Oh, my gosh, there's African Panamanians, African Italians. And so the the Afro Latino part of me, uh, you know, I, I just 
I've loved learning about that part of who I am. I've loved learning about what what um, racism looks like, even in Cuba and in Panama and versus the European Spanish speakers versus the black Spanish speakers. And um, th that education has really uh, enlightened me a lot and been able to um, I, I feel like because I have the Hispanic Afro Latino part of me, I'm able to speak about this in a little bit different context uh, than I would if I didn't have that. So. Mm. You know, in the book, you kind of have it split up into these three sections or this framework of B, C, free. Can you talk about each of those and how they're they're connected into how yeah. we become more human? Yeah. Uh, be human. We've been kind of talking about that right now, uh, being who you were created to be, uh, finding those things that bring you life um, <clears throat> and doing them more of. Like, I didn't know I was a fly fisherman until I went fly fishing in Montana and at 42 years old. And now I know, oh, my gosh, that is who I am. I need to be that. Um, you know, and then I, I talk a lot about just the pace of life, like slowing down to be human, just like, um, really listening. Um, so the be human piece, I think is essential before you can see anybody else. You have to, you have to see yourself. So you have to be, uh, and once you, once you be human, then you can see others. And, you know, that's the, that's the part that I think is, it's difficult in the last couple of years, man. Cause you, who wants to look at somebody that is, spewing things that you don't agree with and that may be dehumanizing somebody else. But I mean, I don't care what we feel like. Like if, if we're followers of Christ, we're called to see these people, mm -hmm. but not only see them to free them. And so, you know, I spend the majority of the book on those two sections, seeing people, freeing people. There's probably the most, the most takeaways on how to see other people. It's what I do with my Instagram every day, helping people see me and then seeing them. It's when we do giving blitzes on Instagram and we, you know, raise a hundred thousand dollars for somebody, we saw them and then we freed them, you know? And so like just helping people see people, free people, see people, free people, see people, free people, uh, every single day is something that, I'm really proud of in the book. And yeah, so the book's not overly complicated, but it's not a bumper sticker either. Like you can't just be like, BC free. Yeah. Uh, this is what I'm gonna, like, it takes work <laughs> and it takes risk. It takes hard work. Yeah. What's the hardest part of that for you? Um, The hard, well, it used to be the hardest part used to be uh, not seeing people from a distance. Um, but, but getting up close, um, cause you know, I'll have a lot of people be like, okay, well I can see, I can, I'll, I'll see those people and scream, Jesus loves you from like 20 yards away. I'm like, that's not seeing people mm -hmm. like Jesus saw people with proximity. He was close to them. So you actually have to get close. And then when I say that, sometimes people will just want to pull out their binoculars and they're like, okay, well I can, let me see them. Now I can see them. And every single time I I'm like, well, no, wait a second. Like, have you ever looked at something like, say you're like, like um, at Yellowstone or somewhere or you're looking for a bird or something and you see it in a tree and you can see it with your eyes, but it's really small. So you can't really see the details, but then you pull out your binoculars and you look at where you think that bird was, but then you don't see it. And you're like, wait a second. And it takes you another five freaking minutes through the binoculars to find the bird. And then you, you're like, oh my gosh, the colors are beautiful. Like, wow, I can really appreciate it. But then it flies to the next branch and then it takes you another five minutes on the binoculars. But what happens when you take the binoculars off, you can see it again. So the goal isn't to see people through some sort of binoculars from far away because their people are going to move and you're going to have to find them again. No, you walk up to them. And when you walk up to them, they can't get out of your sight and you can, you're going to learn a lot more. Mm. Yeah. The scene part reminds me of uh, your, your neighbor, James, that you talk yeah. about. Can you yeah. talk about that story? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, during 2020 was, um, you know, having a, 
uh, a hard time with 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 a lot of racism. And I was teaching a lot, you know, on my Instagrams and socials about that. And I was teaching about racial bias. And I had a grumpy old white neighbor across the street who I assumed because he wasn't nice to me that he didn't like me because he was an old white guy. And, you know, people may hear me say that on your podcast and be like, oh, my gosh, that's racist, Carlos. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you're right. I had created a racial bias. But can I can I tell you something? I created that off of true lived experiences. So every single time someone had called me the N word in Nashville, Tennessee, it had been an old white guy. So guess what that does to me? My my reality of my truth of what I was living suddenly painted that picture over every old white guy that I saw in the South. And so that's why I thought that. And that's why I had that bias. But one day he walks out with a can of paint in his front yard um, and he bends down in front of these two porcelain bunnies and he starts to paint one of them black. And I'll never forget. Uh, he didn't paint the other one black. He just got up and went back in his house. And I was like, well, that was weird. Like, why did that grumpy old white guy do that? And I thought to myself, well, I guess I could ask him. I could actually walk across the street, which I'd never thought to do. I'd always looked at him through my binoculars, right? I thought I knew him because I could see clearly through the binoculars. No, I needed to get close. The second I crossed the street and he was in his yard, he he got, I'd never done that before. Um, I just kind of waved at him from across the street and he never waved back. He got a smile ear to ear as big as Texas. And he's like, hi, my name's James. And I was like, oh my gosh, he's nice. And we started talking and I asked him why he painted the bunny black. And basically that was his way of telling me that my life mattered. He said, with everything that's going on with, with racism in America, this was a small gentle way of him telling the neighborhood what he believes about black people and white people and how we need to be together. And man, it was just a beautiful moment and all of my bias crumbled, but that never would have happened had I not crossed the street. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a that's a great scenario for that happen. I know that that has not always happened. <laughs> Absolutely, you. trust me. I I, I yeah. turn on my camera to film the entire thing just in case something went down. <laughs> yeah. So, like, talk to me about whenever you don't, whenever you don't feel like you're being seen by people, because that can that can happen for a variety of reasons. How do you handle yeah. situations like that? Yeah, you know, I I have to. I mean, as a follower of Christ, I have to understand that my. Um, that I'm not going to be seen by everybody. And I'm not actually not going to be seen by the people I want to be seen by. And sometimes that's my own freaking wife, right? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes I may be, you know, this is in our own marriage. And so I've got to learn as a follower of Christ to be seen by him first. Um, and, and that I have to be all of my supplication and all of my identity needs to come from that. Now, when he sees me, I think I'm healthier, um, I'm a, I'm a healthier person when I'm not seen by somebody I want to be seen by, you know, um, it, you know, my friend, Mike Foster just put up a post the other day. I thought it was great where he's like a life coach, a marriage counselor. He does a lot of really cool things, super successful. Um, but he put up a post saying that he had been advertising for this marriage workshop in San Diego that him and his wife were going to do for 20 people. All of them have always filled up right away. And he's like, I want to let you know that registration closed yesterday and only one person signed up. And he said, I was embarrassed and wanted to take it down because nobody saw me like nobody, you know, and I just love that he he put that out there because more times than not, we feel unseen. Um, and I think if we know that about other people, I think it's helpful, helpful for us. So, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, I go to the Lord, but then I'm also reminded that everybody walks around wanting to be seen every day. Mm, yeah. One of the things that you write about in the book is you talk about like how Jesus modeled humanity too. Yeah. And I'd love to hear, cause I'm sure it, 
it probably hits you different, you know, many different times as you're reading throughout scripture. What's a recent thing about Jesus and him modeling humanity that has challenged you recently and comforted you? Yeah. Um, I think one thing that I maybe two in one, I think yeah. that, that there's a story that I think challenged me uh, to live a little. Uh, when you look at Jesus, um, he was a whimsical guy. Like he wasn't as stuffy as we like to make him feel, man, I feel like he's just cardboard in 2d so many, so many times. And when I read the story on the road to Emmaus after he's been resurrected and he's got his literally two of his best friends on planet earth, it doesn't say who they were walking down um, the road to Emmaus and he just shows up and it says that he disguised himself and he acted as if they, he didn't know what they were talking about. And I just die laughing every time I think about that, because I'm like, literally, Jesus Christ just rose from the freaking grave and he's and his best friends are probably devastated, crying, walking along the road. And it said he disguised himself like what? Like what? What in the world? And so it says, I mean, you don't know how long he walked. Like I've been on the road to Emmaus before. And I mean, the they could have been on that road like seven hours the whole time. He's just like, hey, so what's going on? Oh, really? Who's this guy named Jesus? That's cool. He did what? And he's just letting them process and letting them grieve. And then it says that he he was like pretending to go on down the road, even though he wanted to go home with them. And he let them invite him to their house. Um, and I just I, I look at that story and I just think, man, like I need to be more intentional with having fun and being whimsical in my relationships with my friends. Uh, and I'm challenged by that, but I'm all, also encouraged by that because uh, it just shows me that Jesus was a fun a fun man, a fun guy to hang out with. Uh, and it brings him down to a human level. Hmm. Yeah. You know, another story that I would love for you to uh, tell in this is um, you, you talk about your friend, Matt as well, and how you um, just had some ideas about no knock warrants yeah. as well. And then you knew that you were going to get pushed back from him and just, Talk to me about that situation. Yeah. One another well, happened. Well, that that's the whole, I don't stand on issues. I walk with people. That's something that I say all the time. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and again, that's not a bumper sticker. That's a hard thing to do. Um, but my, you know, during 2020, I was, you know, um, as I'm marching and as I'm learning about, you know, I, I have my own experiences with police, but as I'm learning more and more what's happening, you know, I'm being pretty vocal about my thoughts on no knock warrants. And, um, I have a best friend that is on the SWAT team in California and he serves no knock warrants and he reached out to me and suddenly it, it no longer became an issue. It became a person. It no longer was. Um, this thing is an idea about police. This is an idea about Matt, right? This is an idea about my friend. And so yeah, I just, I'll never forget him going like, Hey, you know, I have to serve no knock warrants. And do you know the bad guys that are standing behind the doors? Do you know what they want to do to me? They want to pump shotgun shells through my chest. And he um, really walked with me. And showed me that he said, do you love me? I said, yes. He said, do you love my wife? I said, yes. Do you love my kids? Yes. Do you want me to walk home every day? Well, suddenly he was no longer an idea. He was now a person. And I walked with him and it shifted my perspective on no knock warrants. It didn't change my mind completely, but it did allow me to empathize and to view things differently. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I got two other things I want to ask you about, but before that, I always just love asking. And we, I know that there's a lot that we could talk about, but is there anything just top of mind that you want to make sure, whether it be just things you're thinking about, you know, how to be human or how to do human, anything like that? I mean, I just want to remind people that, you know, the, the pace of life in which we're living, we were not created to live in. And, you know, if you want to take that first step on being fully human, slow down, you know, put your, put your, charge your phone in the kitchen, buy an alarm clock from target and put it next to your bed and wake up and drink your coffee uh, and just drink your coffee, you know, drink it out of a ceramic mug. Don't get your coffee to go. Like what are the things you can do every single day that slow you down? Mm. Even the pace that I'm speaking right now is driving your listeners crazy because it's too slow. We go too fast. So, you know, I guess I just would challenge them to slow down and to lower the volume of life. Mm. You know, I, w- I would love to ask you, you know, you mentioned earlier that you're an Enneagram type time and you talk about that in the book too. And yet, like, if you look at your life, again, this is from very distant, you look at your life and it's like, okay, so you're talking about all these things and you are like being vocal about what you believe, which is not an Enneagram nine type thing to do most. Cause of I got, time. it's cause, cause I got an eight wing. Gotcha. So there yeah, just, just talk to me about like dealing with that tension of yeah, like, there, yeah. I mean, the, the tension is I'm a peacemaker. Like I want, yeah. I want to, I, that's why I, that's why the catchphrase is don't stand on issues, walk with people. Yeah. I don't want to be an issue guy. I want to be a people guy, but there are some things that I will be an issue guy about. You know, and there is a tension that, you know, you can't live out that bumper sticker phrase. Don't stand on issues, walk with people perfectly. Right. There are going to be issues that I'm not going to budge on, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to walk with somebody that disagrees with me. And that doesn't mean I'm not going to share a meal with them. And that doesn't mean that I'm not going to look to understand clearly their point of view. And, you know, I think of like the death penalty and I'm a like a death penalty abolitionist. That's something that I'm just not budging on. Now, that's not saying I won't change my mind in five years. But as of right now, it's, it's uh, pretty clear. Like, I won't think we should abolish the death penalty. But if I ever meet a family who is affected by the death penalty and they have a different opinion as me, I, I probably need to listen to them and I probably need to learn from them. And so it is a tension that we're going to walk every single day. But I would way rather err on the side of loving somebody as a point as opposed to teaching somebody. Yeah. And just, you know, towards the end of the book, you talk about compromise as well. And how we need to be willing to do that. And it just doesn't seem like not many people are willing to do that. Can you just talk to me? Just talk to me about that. And how do you go about do that? How do you know, like, what to compromise about, what to hold strong to? Yeah. Yeah. You know, compromise is like a four-letter word, but I feel like we've got to actually learn to do that a lot. Like, Mm -hmm. nobody, no, no war has ever been won without compromise. Like, nobody's ever got, I mean, dude, we've just gone through watching the Senate uh, excuse me, Congress tried to elect a new speaker and they they had to compromise after 14, 15 votes. Everyone had to compromise. And so compromising is something that actually we have to get good at doing and we have to get better at it, you know? And so, um, you know, I, I guess I just would encourage your listeners to something that I do is, I mean, I actually write down, I, I try to write down once a week, my compromises. What are things that I've compromised on? And with that, I also, it's it's also a failed journal. I also ask myself, what have I failed on this week? And if I, if I don't see that I've compromised on anything, again, this is compromising in a good way. And if I don't see that I've failed at anything during that week, I don't feel like I've, I've done my due diligence being human that week. 
Mm, that's really good. I'm gonna have to. Yeah. Start, I'm gonna have to start doing that. Yeah. Uh, well, Carlos, I know that people are gonna want to keep up with you. Get the book, How to Human. Where's the best place for people to go to do all those things? Absolutely. If they go to, um, well, you can go anywhere. I mean, you can you can go to get the book CarlosWhitaker.com. My website will have links there. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, Target, all the places. Uh, but but if you want to jump onto the Insta Familia, come hang out with me on Instagram at Loswit L O S W H I T. Awesome. Well, Carlos, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. And thanks for just doing the work and for sharing it with us. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Caleb. So coming out of that conversation, I think there's, man, there's just several things that I absolutely love that he talked about. One was the learning 50 things by the age 50 thing, whether that be something big or something small. I think the other one is what he talked about towards the end of the failure list and the compromise list and tracking. Okay. So how am I living out these things? If I want to take big risks, what have I failed at recently? If I want to be a person who loves people, okay, what, what have I, or, or not even just be a person who loves somebody. If I want to be someone who is selfless, where am I willing to not make it all about me where have i compromised in that and so those are just a couple of the things that have got me thinking really about this conversation i always love talking with carlos always love learning from him and the next time that he comes out with a book i'm sure we'll have him out or on again uh to the podcast now if you've enjoyed this in listening to this episode and you want to continue to learn please subscribe to my Substack where I'm sharing all the different things that I'm learning about and all the things that I'm learning from, from music, from music to articles to just anything that is capturing my imagination and my attention. And I send that out about once a week. And I think that's all that I have for today. I do want to say thank you to Carlos for being on the podcast and for just such a wonderful conversation. Thanks to Sam Massey for creating the music for this podcast. Thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode. My name is Kayla Mason, and until next time, keep learning and keep growing.